0: Welcome to the Salt Lake Christian Center podcast. We're a network of language churches worshiping together as one. It is our prayer that this message will be a blessing and encouragement to your life. Now, join us for one of our weekly sermons. I just felt like that God wanted me to begin again to let's talk about what first century Christianity looked like and how they faced uh, pandemics and how they faced persecution and how they faced what took place in, uh, in the first century. And we have that by our friend Luke, who gives us um, Dr. Luke, who travels with Paul and tells us what's, what's taking place. And so that is where we're going this morning, and I want to review just a little bit, that as uh, as the day of Pentecost happens, they're all in, in one accord, in one place, in Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit is poured out in what I believe is the Solomon's porch area of the temple, not in the upper room, um, but the Holy Spirit is out poured, and they hear there, the people from Galilee and and the people from uh, all different countries are hearing these Galileans praise God in their own languages, and and that's how the that's how the church started with all of these different international people, and all of them were speaking the the Galileans the apostles 120. Uh, that had followed Christ and and been there when the Holy Spirit fell, were speaking those languages that they had never learned. Now, scholars will say, we don't know whether it was a, a, a miracle of language or a miracle of hearing, that what they were speaking, whichever it was, people from all over the world, God-fearing people from all over the world were in Jerusalem at that time over a million of them and heard these people praising God at the temple in their own language and praising him wow I wish we could have been there come and join our next international service and you'll you'll be close to what happened amen and So the Holy Spirit fell, Peter preaches his sermon, and then in Acts chapter 2, in verse number 42, we're given a a nutshell, uh, a nutshell of how the church grew and had such incredible, explosive, exponential growth after the day of Pentecost. And in the 42nd verse of Acts chapter 2, after Peter's message, he says, God's calling you to repent. And, this, and so this is what the disciples did, and they devoted themselves, and we preached this before, preached this several times actually, um, and, and so I'm not going to uh, highlight, but, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the community, the breaking of bread, communion, and prayer. That's what they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and community, and to communion with Christ, and to prayer. So as we look at the book of Acts, Acts chapter one and verse number eight tells us, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So in the very first chapter of Acts then, the apostles are given their marching orders that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They have no clue what he's talking about. Has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And then he gives an outline that Luke follows when he writes the book of Acts. And that outline is that you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and then to the end of the earth. And that is a normal outline for the book of Acts, uh, as found in, in, in chapter 1, verse number 8. And of course, we can logically break that down with the book of Acts Jerusalem, chapters 1 through 5, Judea, 6 through 7, Samaria, 8 through 12, and the world, 13 through 28. And uh, our outline, though, that we've taken over the, over that period of about a year and a half is just a little bit different for the birth of the church in Jerusalem, how persecution leads, and we started in Acts chapter 6 then, to read about Stephen, who was persecuted and, and martyred, and, and the portion of Acts chapter 6 through 931 then was called persecution leads to expansion. And then when you hit chapter 10, it's Gentile Christianity. It's a focus on Gentiles as opposed to Jews or, or anywhere else. The Gentile Christianity that goes from 932 through 1225. And then the first missionary journey of Paul. Second missionary journey of Paul. And then we'll go into where we left off. And that is the third missionary journey of Paul. And then his trial before Caesar. And him being sent to Rome. So that's the outline of where we're headed over the next several decades. (laughs) Um, And so let's go back. To chapter 9. And what happens is an amazing thing. Is that in Acts chapter 6, um, Stephen was preaching. And the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders told him, knock it off. You can't do this anymore. And he kept doing it. And they told him, quit. And he, would, he kept doing it. And so they decided they're going to bring him out and they brought him outside the city and they stoned him. And Stephen, as he's dying, looks up into heaven and he says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. So the first martyr of the Christian church announces to every martyr past that to 2022. Jesus is standing at the Father's right hand. Your persecution and eventually your death will put you right next to Him. So, chapter 6 mentions that there is this young man standing there holding the coats of the people. Uh, that were stoning Stephen. And they said his name was Saul of Tarsus. And he's holding the coats. The next thing we hear of Saul of Tarsus is that he is wreaking havoc of the Christian churches. He is dragging them out and killing them and beating them. And he's directed. He becomes the chief executioner for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the temple guard. And he's leading them. And the church goes into hiding. And the church goes into different, different things taking place. And, and then Paul decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go from Jerusalem to Damascus. And so he heads for Damascus. And just before he gets to Damascus in chapter 9, then we hear about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And he's riding his horse uh, with, it, with the uh, uh, Praetorium guard and the temple guard, and all of a sudden he is falls flat off of his horse on the ground, and a voice speaks to him and says, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" And it's obvious that Saul recognizes the voice, and recognizes what's happening to him, and and he uh um, will, will encapsulate it that the most dynamic persecutor of the church becomes its most famous evangelist and so he goes to Damascus and instead of going to the synagogue and, and, and around the, going to the synagogue and then coming out to the churches and killing people, he goes to Damascus and he is discipled and so All of a sudden he turns and in Damascus then he eventually comes back to Jerusalem. And when he comes to Jerusalem, all of the Christians are afraid of him. So they're hiding from him. And, And he proves to them because he stands in the temple courts and he stands in the streets of Jerusalem and he preaches that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he is the Messiah and he's coming back. And they're all looking at him like, really? Really? So he has Christians that are opposing him, okay, because he's not preaching the gospel that they heard or that that they wanted. And then he has the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming after him. And he causes a riot. And, And I mean, they're just a, Total chaos in Jerusalem. And so some of the Christian brothers hide him and take him to Caesarea, Maritima, on the sea. And they put him on a boat and say, Saul, you're going home. And he does. They ship him back to Tarsus. And he goes to Tarsus. Now, I'll stop with the story there. But that, that is in Acts chapter 9. Verse 30, where they got him in Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus. And then is a defining statement in Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. And we we didn't spend as much time on it as we should have, I, I don't think. So we're going to spend some time on that verse this morning. That as the main antagonistic person is gone, then the 30th verse says... That uh, the church, uh, the church throughout, or that they sent him off. Now let's read verse thirty-one, Acts nine thirty-one. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace, and was being built up. So the main antagonist is gone. There's this relatively time of peace that the church is underneath the nose of the Roman government is growing. And it's being strengthened. And how is it being strengthened? It's being strengthened by listening to the apostles' teaching, by the fellowship, by communion, and praying. That's how they're being built up. However, there are some things that take place and so this is what, this is what the, the encapsulated, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, okay, the four things we talked about, but then the Holy Spirit through Luke tells us that there's two more things that they added to those four, And those two things were going to be, even though Luke just puts it in in a passing statement, but those two things were going to be the power part of what would take the gospel of Jesus Christ all the way to the nose of Rome, and eventually Rome falls. The churches in Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord... And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So it's being built up by their teaching, communion, fellowship, prayer, but it becomes multiplied. It grows exponentially when you add these two things to what's taking place. Number one, that they're walking in the fear of the Lord. They're walking in the fear of the Lord. Now, let's, let's give you some definitions because I believe this is impactful for solid Lake Christian Center as well as the whole evangelical church, although they're not going to hear it, but I'll bet God has given it out someplace else too. This is the only place in the New Testament where that phrase is used fear of the Lord in that way. It's used numerous times in the Old Testament. And so it's used in the the prophets, it's used in in the the minor prophets, the major prophets about the fear of the Lord. Now, for those of us in in, uh, 2022 Christianity, talking about the fear of the Lord And some of us that are old enough to remember back a few decades, there's a lot of fear. You know, like the fear of if you don't get down to this altar and repent right now, you're going to walk out across that street and you're going to be hit by a bus. And the next thing you're going to see is the flames of hell. And I say that in love. Was that part of it? Well, let's talk about it. Let's not talk about it. You listen and I'll talk. (laughs) The definition of the word fear in Hebrew is the word Yerah. And is used in the Old Testament to describe fear or terror. An awesome or terrifying thing. An object causing fear. And the fear of God in respect, reverence, and piety. So it has several meanings. The Greek word in translated into Greek is, used, is, is phobos, and it's used to describe fear, dread, and something that strikes terror, phobia. In connection with the fear of the Lord, it's often defined as reverence or awe. Reverence or awe. But this definition may not go far enough to express the depths of what the Bible talks about in walking in the fear of the Lord. The words reverence and awe is important. But there's also a place in the Word of God that talks about trembling. 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 So walking in the fear of the Lord. Now, let's, let's review kind of what happened. So here these people are, are doing, doing their thing, and the church is growing. It's being multiplied in peace and quiet and, and safety. And then God strikes Ananias and Sapphira dead in the church because they lied about how much money they gave. Okay, <laughs> okay, just, just kind of picture this. Okay, wow, the churches are growing, and we love the apostles' teaching, and we're having communion together and so forth. Whoa, what? Ananias and Sapphira are dead? Peter killed them? No, God did. Wow. Then we read about all kinds of signs and wonders taking place. People are being healed in the temple. They're being healed. People, are, are people of outside the community of Jews are being saved. And here's Philip in Samaria having this humongous revival. And God says, I want you to go down to the African desert and visit an Ethiopian. And all of a sudden he's gone. And he appears there on the chariot. And uh, reading that this week, it kind of chuckles. He's standing out in this desert and he sees this chariot, chariot going by. And God says, go get on that chariot. <laughs> really? And so he runs up there and uh, and jumps on the chariot. And, and then he wins this uh, Ethiopian to the Lord. He goes over and baptizes him. They choose deacons because Judas has been has been, uh, uh, they choose another apostle, and then they choose the deacons. And then there's Stephen, he's martyred. And then we see that Saul ravages the church, and, and the, a magician is saved, and then he's confronted. And then there's Saul's conversion, the main instigator, has now become the main professor. And then Saul's execution is planned, and he's sent off to Tarsus. Now that's what happened in the middle of the peace and quiet and the study of the apostles. But the Holy Spirit knew something. Not only what had just happened, that struck fear in the church. And and Luke talks about that, how that it did, it put fear in the church. Well, I would imagine if we had an offering and you had to walk up here and give your offering and you put it in the bucket and then you drop dead, that would be, after that would be the largest offering we've ever had in the history of Salt Lake Christian Center or a mass exodus out of Salt Lake Christian Center. It would put fear. And so there's this fear But here's where it's explained that this isn't. This was fear walking in the fear of God. Coming up, the Holy Spirit knows there's imprisonments. There's beatings. There's jail. There's shipwrecks. There's battles. There's confrontations with Satan. There's sin in the church. There's doctrinal error. There's schism between members. There's schism between apostles. And it's in that phrase, that fear in which we are realizing that that fear developed three things. One was the awe. The awe, the wonder. You know, there've been times in my Christian experience Where through what you're going through, you lose the wonder and the awe. You know what I'm talking about? You see, we talked about it several weeks ago, for several weeks. The fear of the Lord. What Lord am I fearing? That I have this awe for the master who created the universe. I went out early this morning while I was working on this message, and and went out with with uh, Kathy's dogs, <laughs> our dogs. I went out in the backyard for obvious reasons, and I'm standing, looking up, and it's clear, and it's just oh, wow, how amazing, how amazing is that? The awe. Ah, listen. Don't lose the fear of walking in the fear of the Lord. Don't lose the awe of walking with the Lord. That you're walking with the creator of the universe. That you're fellowshipping and you're praying to and hearing from. And he's speaking to you, the creator of the universe. In the, un- in the observable universe that we don't understand. And the unobservable we talked about for seven weeks. God is great. God is transcendent. God is awesome. God is holy. God is powerful. That is the God that you're communicating with. Wow. And then reverence. Reverence. Regard. Regard to regard or treat with great respect. Reverence. You know, something I've learned about our international churches and international communities that we have even in this service, in this church, that reverence and respect for elders and leaders in the international community is much different than any American $250 Nike sneakers. Hello? Reverence, regard, and respect. I was at one of the Samoan uh, dinners, and I'm not going to tell you who it was, uh, cause you probably know him. And one of the children was cutting up in the back and Tusi this was several years ago. Tusi was standing up there and he called this person out and he said, you come up here. Now I get that. Okay. Because I grew up in a pastor's home and I can't tell you how many times my dad said, Ray, actually he didn't say Ray. And I'm not going to tell you what he said. Um, I'll say Ray, we'll just let it be that, okay? He didn't swear, just, anyway, Ray, you come up and sit right here. And I knew what was gonna happen after that service. So as soon as the halter call came, I was there. Right? Well, so I watched this kid walk up through the seats and every adult he passed smacked him. Every one of the adults he passed, boom! Boom! (laughs) <laughs> and I thought, that's how I was raised. You know, I was raised in a church where the adult closest to the problem took care of the problem. That doesn't happen anymore. But here's the third thing. And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm working on closing. A fear that's of awe and of reverence. But it's a fear that I do not want to displease God, for all God's done for me, for all the forgiveness, for all the magnanimity that He's had with me, there needs to be this sense of fear that I do not want to disrespect Him. I do not want for Him to be displeased with me. It's not a phobic fear. It's not an irrational fear that paralyzes you into inaction. It's a fear like hitting your brakes every time you see a policeman. It's a fear like a soldier on the field, but that fear keeps him focused on what the plan is and what everything needs to happen. It's a fear that an athlete has when he's trained, he or she is trained hard, and is concerned that his body is going to respond in the way that he's trained it. It's the fear that a servant that loves and respects his master and doesn't want to do anything to displease him, even when his master is good and kind. It's like a son or a daughter that has a built-in desire. Dad, listen to me this morning. That daughter has a built-in desire to please you. And the son, it's even twice the size. It's like an employee that wants to make sure everything's done right to preserve his or her job. It's a fear that will sustain you. When I graduated from high school, I was uh, invited by a man in our church who was an iron worker. And he was a supervisor uh, building the FMC plant in Little America. And behind Little America, you look back there and you see this gigantic plant i don't know what it is now then it was soda ash and and so he said i want you to come you can come and go to work for me for the summer and so i went and we drove up to little america to that plant back there and and we, we got in the back of his truck and he pulls out this bag of tools and he straps it on me and it's you know only, and my dad was a carpenter and we built houses and so forth, so I, I had that wasn't this. This has wrenches that are about that long and heavy, and a lot of them. And the so we're standing down at the bottom of this structural steel building, nothing on it but structural steel. and he's and he says, There's where we're going. Ooh. Okay. And then he says, well, the crane is occupied, so we're going to have to climb it. No ladder. (laughs) Okay. So we're climbing structural steel. The first Spider-Man. Well, anyway, that wasn't it either. So we get up. We get up about 30 or 40 feet, and, and uh, he turns around, he looks at me, and he says, now I'm 18 years old. He says, are you afraid? And I said, no. <laughs> no. And listen to what he said. You better be, because that fear is the only thing going to save your life. So we got up to where we were going, and he, we started working, and he says, "Next week, we're going up there. We were up 80 feet." And he says, "Next week we're going up there." And I said, "How high is that?" And he smiles, and he says, "After 30 feet, it doesn't matter." Uh, well, interesting enough, I felt called to the ministry and to South Assemblies, Southwestern Assemblies of God College uh, to prepare for the ministry. So I worked there for a month, and then I decided to get back in the ministry. That fear. So here's how Philippians says it: Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but more, much more in the absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The fear of the Lord should include a place for trembling. Paul indicates this when he's talking to the Philippian church. Trembling is tromos and means a trembling or a quaking with Fear. Now again, he's not talking about a phobic fear, but a fear that will save your life when you try to think you can cross the road, I-15 at 4.30 in the afternoon. Here is the defining voice of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 28. He tells them, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul, both soul and body in hell. That's from Jesus. That's from Jesus. So, so I'm going to be persecuted. So how, how incredible is this that Jesus gives them this explanation before they go in to the world just as one would likely tremble in the presence of someone who could take your life. So Jesus taught the fear of the Lord. And it became the statement that defined the apostles' ministry for the rest of the Christian church and defines the church's ministry in many areas of the world today. That's the fear of the Lord. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 13 now When they, the, the, uh, uh, Peter and John have come to the temple and this lame man has been healed. And there's a stir that causes up because he's running around saying, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. And a stir is called. And so they call Peter and John in and say, What happened? And Peter preaches a sermon. And they'd already told him, Don't preach anymore. Now look at verse number 13 in Acts chapter 4. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. (laughs) You know, as I was reading that, again, it's like, wow, that wouldn't work in today's world. Right? Because I mean, I mean, you know, get your best thing now. I mean, you you got it. You're it. You're coming. Come on, you got it. Find that inside of you. No, I mean, they just blast it out there. They're uneducated, and just common men. Well, you may not think that's funny, but I do. Because I'm common. I won't know about the uneducated part, but. They were astonished, and he, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What, what was it in Luke's writing that he said, here's what happened. They knew they were uneducated, they knew they were common, but they recognized one thing that they'd been with Jesus. You see, when your life has been transformed by Jesus, even your face will reflect those at your actions. Sometimes in their demeanor reflected that they have been with Jesus. Walking in the fear of the Lord lets people know that you've been with Jesus. And you don't have to tell them. Kathy, worship team, come back, would you please? And then Acts chapter 4 and verse number 29 says in talking about the fear of the Lord. And now, Lord... So here, here's what they said. Threw them in prison. We know they eventually get out. But here was the prayer of the church that it was going through this persecution and going through the prison. And this is their prayer. And the prayer is, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness that's the fear of the Lord that's the fear of the Lord that sees an awesome God that I'm walking with him and he's walking beside me that's the fear of the Lord that sees I'm uneducated I'm a common man that's the fear of the Lord that wants his church to rise up that's the fear of the Lord and that should be the prayer forgive us oh God for praying for who we think should become the president how about if we quit praying about who we think should become the president and we pray as a church and as a body of Christ give us boldness give us boldness to speak the word of God Stand before.